Good morning. So we are on a journey through the book of Acts, right? And it feels like kind of like a journey. Like we're going through the Mediterranean basin, and we're discovering and looking at the first missionary journeys of the apostles and the first churches that were ever planted. And I'm excited because it's a challenging book, the book of Acts. I'm excited because in its narrative form, it's just sort of blatant. It's like, this is what God did. Deal with it in your theology. Last week, uh, if you were here, Tommy preached from chapter 9. And part of the message, you may have heard and seen uh, a video of my wife who just read scripture. And she was sharing about uh, a chronic injury she was, she was uh, healed of. She was healed from. It was 10 years of pain. I was the one giving her back massages every single day. And, uh, and man, God healed her. And, uh, and it has, it, that, that had a specific impact on my faith. I had seen some healings before, but to be so front line uh, with, with the pain that she was experiencing, and then for her to call some healers of, that we were connected with, um, people that had the gift of healing in the spirit, empowered by God in our church, uh, that she called them over. And, and um, man, I just have a crush on her. She's, she's beautiful and everything, but uh, she, she has been leading our family uh, so much in, in, um, in boldly kind of praying from the posture of, God, I'm your kid. Like, I'm part of your family. And that, that has really been an encouragement to my faith and uh, has been moving our family, I think, in a really cool direction. And as a result of, of Darren praying like this and learning to pray like this and encouraging us and our family to pray like this, uh, we have seen several healings uh, firsthand in our church over the last five years. And it has been very encouraging to my faith. And if, uh, if you don't know, Christians across the globe are just rife with these stories. It's all over the church. God really is moving in power in his church. As Tommy pointed out, these moments and stories of God moving in power in the church, um, they point back at the goodness of our Father, his power. And I'm excited to continue in this book. It's my favorite book in the Bible, the book of Acts. I'm excited and privileged to teach from it today. And uh, I'm also just glad and excited to um, finally be here at Mercy Hill. And I use the word finally because in some ways it's been like a long time in the making, which is kind of strange to say. About 20 years ago, I met Pastor Tom and Pastor Kevin, and I was a squirrely little teenager. I had no idea about anything. And, um, and man, I received some, what I, what I consider to be very like solid discipleship from those guys. They, they taught me about the way of Jesus. I encountered the Spirit of God in a very specific and powerful way, and it changed the trajectory of my life. And I have never been the same. And, um, and about eight years ago, I planted a church in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. And uh, we called that church Mercy Hill Church because we stole your name. <laughs> we, we did get permission to steal it, and um, I know it's not very cool. Uh, I should have created my own name, but why don't you try to make a name of a church that is both trendy 
and has a biblical metaphor and has the standard nature theme. It's very difficult. Those weren't Tom's reasons for making the name Mercy Hill, but those were mine, sadly. So, uh, so through the eight years that my wife and I were involved in discipleship and pastoring the church called Mercy Hill, um, the pirated copy of Mercy Hill in Minnesota, throughout that time, um, we, uh, we had been attending here every now and then. Or uh, at least I had. Darren, did you ever attend this church with me? Okay. You came too a couple times. So we came here a couple times really just to visit Tom because he's my bud and to visit Kevin because he's my bud. And, uh, and man, every single time I came here, I, I, was, I, I just thought, I love this church. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's so great. Um, and I'm going to get into some of the specifics of why I think you are such a great church. And um, I also had a, ha- a strange habit of hanging out with Tom in foreign countries, but that's a different story. Anyways, so uh, in July, this last July, Tom met with me in Minnesota, and he conveyed a real need for me um, to, that I could possibly meet um, by coming here with my family and serving here. And, um, and we both sensed that God was really leading this, and so we said yes to that. And here we are. And uh, we didn't leave because the, the other Mercy Hill Church, pirated copy Mercy Hill Church in Minnesota, we didn't leave because things were going bad. In fact, things were going very well. We, we left because we sensed a real calling here. And it was definitely hard to leave my family and friends and church network and music network and social network that I've built up in Minnesota over the course of 35 years. It's really difficult. I mean, we had we had insomnia and we were we had we had tears. But man, there there were some specific reasons that made it much easier to say yes to what we believe God was calling us to do by coming here, by moving here. And those reasons have everything to do with you guys. And I want to talk specifically about that later. But first, we're going to dive in to Acts 10. And then after that, I, um, I want to share some things that I think are just great about you, about this congregation, about this church. So in Acts 10, it starts off with a centurion, and he is Italian. And coffee has not been invented at this point. So he's, he's probably angry all the time. He's probably mad. Um, and, and in verse 3, Cornelius, this Italian guy, it says he was part of the Itali- Italian regiment. He does something unique in response to the angel that he sees. It's very unique. You, most, of the, most of the time, people, they, they encounter an angel, and they're scared, and so they cower, and the angel has to go, no, it's cool, I'm an angel. Um, but Cornelius, it says that he stared at the angel in fear, which is cool. <laughs> he, so he was scared, but he just stared at the angel. And, uh, and it says that um, the, angel, the angel spoke to him, and he said, go get Peter. Go get this guy. He's staying with a certain person. So, so Cornelius responds, and he goes and sends people. And scene change to Peter. Peter, uh, he's, he's on the roof. He's praying. It says he's hungry, and he wanted something to eat. This is Peter again. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And see, this happens to me. I, uh, I fall when it's time to cook, and I'm hungry. Um, this is why Darren, my wife, cooks all of our meals. Because I'm extremely spiritual, and I'm like, I'm on the couch, or I'm on the roof, or something, and I'm in a trance uh, during meal prep and cleanup. So, 
God knows um, that it's extreme, food is extremely important to Peter and I, so he gives us visions about food during, while we're hungry. And so it says in, in verse 11, in Peter's actually legitimate vision, he says, uh, it says, He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. It's easy to read this passage and to kind of think, classic Peter, he needed the old one, two, three. It's obvious, bro. It's obvious what this vision is about. And listen to yourself, Peter. Lord? Surely not, Lord? If you call someone Lord, what do you say when they give you a command? You say yes, if you declare them as Lord. They, they have authority over you. And he says, surely not, Lord, to your command that you just said. Come on, Peter. However, let's get in, in his mind for a moment. Let's get in touch with Peter. Specifically, with food. Like, you have your own proclivities with food. Like, you're weird, and you have your own tastes and things you don't like and like based on your experience and taste. It says, the vision contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. First of all, Peter was raised and totally mentally conditioned to think this non-kosher food was straight-up gross and nasty. Like, if you consume it, he believed, it made you, from the inside out, unclean. It's not like he was, he's been always tempted to eat this stuff, and now God is letting him do it. And he's going, no, Lord, I'm, I'm good, I won't eat it. No, he, he doesn't even think this non-kosher stuff is desirable, because he can't. He's never had it. Like, it's like um, if you've never had a cigarette. You're just like, they're gross. <laughs> they smell gross. There's a gross connotation with it. Take pigs, for example. He's seeing all kinds of gross animals, right? Let's focus on pork because it's a little more common. There's two options, just with pigs. First is, this is the first time Peter has seen a pig. And uh, he's mortified at the abomination of creation that is the pig. Or he has seen a pig before. Maybe he's visited like a real pig farm or seen a pig farm, and he's still viscerally, involuntarily mortified at the existence and smell of these horrible animals. We're not talking about pulled pork from Guanajuatos. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like a nice prepared taco or whatever. And then there are reptiles in this vision. Something that still today most of us would think is really gross to eat. And we've, like, found a way to cook everything through culinary technology. Yet still today, if you eat reptiles, you got to keep that under wraps, yo. Like, don't tell anyone. You'll be ostracized. It is gross. You're a lizard eater. Keep it secret. <laughs> the point is, don't get 
all up on Peter because if he thinks this is a test or if he's like confused, just straight up confused. I would have kind of, my posture would have been like, Lord, are, so you're telling me to get up, kill, and eat. Does that mean like right now? Like, do I have to go kill things now and eat? Even the expected timing of this is confusing. Confusion is acceptable here. And so, um, even more exciting, if the Lord was not saying to go now, kill, and eat, what is the actual meaning of this vision? Did Peter think this vision was primarily about food? Much prior to this, Jesus had already taught Peter. This is from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus had taught that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them. For it, for it doesn't go, uh, the food, uh, meaning, it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out the body. And this, is, this next thing I'm going to say is a direct quote from the Gospel of Mark. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. This was his, to his disciples when they asked him about what a conversation that he was having means. And I don't want to muddy the waters too much because, uh, honestly, the dietary laws and that whole conversation, it's, it, it's, it's more complicated than what I'm making it sound. In fact, that, that quote from, from the Gospel of Mark, that was Jesus saying things in response to, um, uh, the, in, in response to the teachers of the law being critical about the disciples not doing ceremonial washing. Nonetheless, It says straight up in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was declaring all foods clean. In fact, the decided interpretation of Peter, the apostle Peter, the decided interpretation of this vision was not about food at all. In verse 17 of Acts 10, it says, Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision. And listen to his interpretation. He says his interpretation to the group of Gentiles in Cornelius' house. He says, you are well aware it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any one impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Furthermore, in verse 34, it says, Peter saying, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This interpretation that Peter has is just as wild as a dietary shift. It's equally as crazy. Imagine your whole life, just imagine this, your whole life you live in a country where Nazi Germany won. They won. What do I mean by that? The Romans. They were trying to subjugate the whole world with violence to their order, to their authority. And they kind of won for a hundred years at this point that we're reading in Scripture in Acts 10. From a hundred years from this point, Israel was under the thumb of Rome. So any Jew alive at this time was born into Roman-occupied Israel. If you were a Jew, you knew someone who was violated or killed or by a Roman soldier. You lived a life of just going, they're in power, so yeah, I mean, 
they, they can abuse us, I guess. You lived in fear of these guys. And in this context, you've also been trained. Imagine this again. In this context, you've also been trained by your authority figures, by the people you love, by your parents, by your elders, by your community, that these guys are dirty. They're unclean. Everyone you think has something to say about the universe and about existence has told you these oppressors who you're already biased to think are bad. They've all told you they're dirty, they're unclean. And if you go into their house, you're unclean. Unclean like you can't worship anymore with your people. Like you can't go in the temple if you associate with them. If you, if you go into their house and break bread with them, you're dirty. You can't, you can't be with your people anymore in the temple. The Gentile connotation was that of being physically and spiritually diseased like dirty dogs. Stray dogs. That was the connotation. So at this point in Acts, there have been already some, some stretching that the apostles had to do. These Jewish apostles had to do. Uh, they saw God at this point in Acts chapter 10 already. They've seen God graft in the Samaritans who are half Jew, half Gentile. And they're already struggling with that, but they're going, okay, Lord, I mean, they're half Jewish, okay. And then they saw uh, Philip, and, and they heard about the story of Phil, uh, Philip interacting with, with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And they're going, whoa, that's out of, bound, out of bounds, Lord, right? No, because the, 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 the Ethiopian eunuch, he was actually not ethnically Jewish, but he was by worldview Jewish. He was a Jewish convert. He was going to the temple to pray. He was reading Torah. He was, he was, uh, or, uh, he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And, uh, and Philip approaches him, helps him make sense of it. God moves. So they go, okay, that, that's a little weird, Lord, but um, I guess he was, you know, at least he was, by worldview, he was Jewish. And then God approaches Peter. And he says, I want you to love the Germans. I love the Germans. And you should too. The Romans, these oppressing occupiers. And that's Peter's interpretation of his vision. What is the takeaway here? Church. Check this out. The vitriol, the anti-spiritual sentiment, the dirtiness about the Gentiles, these rules about the Gentiles, that they were unclean. This is not in God's word ever. It's a common misconception of this passage in Acts 10, that the Spirit is changing it up and doing something new. The Old Testament has all these anti-Gentile laws, and the Spirit is showing Peter that the, to the Jews... Um, they're now accessible. They're now, uh, they can, you can associate with them. No, in the contrary, there's verse after verse commanding the Jews to associate themselves, to serve and minister and give food and shelter with Gentile foreigners. Prime example, Leviticus 19.34. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Come on. 
So the Spirit is, is going a step further now. God is not only clarifying to Peter that association is fine, but God is grafting the Gentiles in through Jesus, making them clean, both Jew and Gentile. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And I'm making my point here. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. He gave himself as a ransom for Jew and Gentile to be made clean. And this, it says, this has now been witnessed at the proper time. So yes, God wanted Jews to have their culture and to have Jewish marriage and to marry one another. But that doesn't necessitate the extra biblical heaping that God's people did. This is what angered Jesus most of all. When God's people would heap on extra rules that weren't in Torah. God is. God's law and desire simply is, regardless, church, of your feelings and temptations. He is singular in his holiness, in his ability to make his word known, his will known. The Jews, of course they had feelings. Of course they had connotations. Of course they didn't like these Gentiles by their understanding from their stories. And over time, what they did is they shaped that into God's voice. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? They, they took their stories and their experience of the occupation of Rome and the Gentiles, and they said, God wants that. God wants us to not like them just like we do. It wasn't God. It was their voice. It was their feelings. It was their connotation. God wasn't revealing to Peter that he was changing his mind. He was saying, Peter, you're wrong. Don't put me in a box. Don't add revelation to myself. I'm responsible for that. So the first uh, unique thing that my wife and I noticed about this congregation in our visits was that there are differences among you. (laughs) You're not all the same. There are age differences among you. There there are economic and cultural background differences. This is a pretty, actually, diverse church. And uh, and that's just just cool. We, We just think that's cool. But beyond that, the thing that is so unique and so special and makes me so excited to associate with you Um, is best illustrated by a spectrum. And it's a spectrum that I have come to see and believe when I visit other churches and when I have worked for churches and uh, when I have met Christians. There is this spectrum where uh, on one end there's a church full of people who are taking seriously in Scripture the reality, power, and pleasure of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and his gifts are for today. Talking about charismatic churches on this end of the spectrum. Typically, they have better music. Typically, they put more emphasis on emotional experience, which is cool. I mean, our best relationships as humans are are highly emotional. But these emphases 
um, come at ex- an expense. Uh, they come at the expense of rich, critical, discerning theology all too often. Most of the times, uh, those kind of churches don't have a great understanding of church history. Their, uh, their doctrine is weak at best. And in fact, I've had conversations with um, some of the pastors of these kind of churches, and they, they just say, listen, going too deep into doctrine is straight up boring. Like, if, if people aren't getting saved and people aren't experiencing the presence of God, then why spend time on it? It'll bore everybody. Don't get too intellectual. I've also seen and experienced in these contexts and meeting uh, these pastors and having conversations that there's a de-emphasis on education in these circles. On the other end of the spectrum, we have uber-intellectual uh, Bible-based churches. And that I can see the good in that as well. Typically, when churches take a very, very serious stance and passion on Scripture— um, which is good, by the way. They uh, these churches become afraid of experiences that you can't like look up and hold in your hand and look up the Greek as to what it says. Take prophecy and visions, for example. It's in the Bible, but it's uncontrollable. Like I, as someone on staff, can't necessarily control all of that, all aspects of that. So people become afraid of working through. Uh, of the Holy Spirit working through people. And you get soon, soon, very soon, you get Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You get a lopsided trinity because we shouldn't dabble in those things. And so what people do is they create reasons and they jump through theological hoops and do theological gymnastics in order to say it shouldn't happen anymore. The problem with that is the Holy Spirit in us, working in power, in our churches, it's very biblical. As Tom mentioned the other week in working through the book of Acts, he said, the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict the word of God, the sort of truth, because the Holy Spirit is God. 1 Corinthians 14.1, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. In Galatians 5, walk in step with the Spirit. And then you have the middle ground churches. And a lot of those, they, they, they go, I want balance. We don't want to be too extreme and too crazy. And so they kind of get meh. <laughs> they kind of get apathetic about both extremes, about the Bible and about the Spirit of God. The thing about you guys is you are fully both. That is what I have observed, have observed from being around you and hanging out. You are fully both, full Bible, Full spirit. We want it all, Lord. And we're not the only church like this. But man, in my experience, it is a unique thing. The Holy Spirit is welcome here. But you're also totally anchored in the word of God. I've gone uh, from community group to community group. I haven't visited them all yet. But I've been to a lot of them. And what I've noticed is you take the Bible very seriously. You parse it. You discern it, you dissect it, you're interested in it, you give attention to it. It's really cool. You're taking notes when Tommy preaches. I got a Facebook message from someone uh, just yesterday, and, and, she, and she said, hey, are you going to be pre- uh, preaching from the book of Acts? Because if so, I want to I make sure to bring my, my book of Acts notes. I, bought, I have this book that has the scripture and then the notes are on the other side. 
I'm like, you're, you're so nerdy. That's awesome. And you, you got like Ecclesia, like in this church. Do you guys know Bruce, by the way? That dude is total full nerd. He's awesome. That guy actually changed my theology in a drastic way that was so helpful to me. I argued with him on, uh, uh, in Rwanda about, about the formation of the canon. He just owned me. Just hardcore. Like, I, and it changed, it changed my life, to be honest. You guys are nerds. You're showing up to like midweek service at Equip just to like be more equipped in the Bible. It's so cool. And then, to my surprise, at the most poorly marketed church event of all time, Spirit-led, like 10% of you guys show up. 10% of the church just shows up to this, this event like, okay, cool, let's do it. Let's, let's pray. Let's sing. Let's, whatever. You guys are so open. Man, I lost my place. What am I doing? What am I even talking about here? You are open to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is welcome here. Even in that time in Spirit Led, I've heard story after story from people reaching out and just saying, hey, thanks for like kind of creating that space because the real living God spoke to me in that time. <laughs> I came to it, and I had never experienced a vision or a word of knowledge, and God spoke to me. Not even in the public sharing in that time, but people have been sharing with me that... Uh, that they have just opened their, their mind to what the Spirit could do, maybe, kind of placing even more biblical emphasis on it. And they're going, the Spirit is speaking to me. And the Spirit spoke to me in that time and gave me specific visions and words of knowledge for the first time that, that helped me in my walk with the Lord. You are open to the Spirit, church. Mercy Hill, you are open to the Word. You're like God's little kids sitting cross-legged, before the Father, and going, what are you going to say next? What are you going to do next? You know what this is like? This reminds me of what was happening in Cornelius' house, where God chose to move in power among these willing, listening Gentiles. In verse 33, Cornelius says to Peter, so I sent for you immediately, after having the, the, the angel interaction, and it was good of you to come, Peter. Now we are all here in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Do you guys catch that? This room full of Gentiles, and they're going, yeah, we, we're doing whatever the Lord wants. Just, you know, what are you going to say next? Go. Like, we just want to hear the truth. That's you guys. That really is my feeling and, 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 and impression of you. You just want to know what's up. Like, what does the Lord want to do? What does the Lord want to speak and do? And maybe, probably, that's why God called us here, my wife and I. Why I moved my family here a couple weeks ago. Why I want to associate with you. Why I want to learn from you and grow with you for years and years to come. I'm so excited about this. You are our new family in God. And I have been so impressed and humbled by you. And honored to serve among you. What a beautiful opportunity it is when a group of people just get together and just go, Lord, we want to hear the truth. We want to hear what truth is. One of the problems with the church in the last days is that it no longer endures healthy teaching, God's revelation. 
It heaps onto itself teachers that will tell them what they're itching to hear, and they turn aside from truth, and they voluntarily turn to the boxes they have put God in. But God will not be contained. And so the church in the last days, they miss God. They miss out on the real living God. Because they have cozied up to a watered down or a perversion of truth. They have cozied up to a safe, controlled, alternative version of God's word. Via omission or adding like the Jews did sometimes in the first century. The challenge here, if any, is that I would just say, I don't think your church is like that. I think you guys are open and willing to the Spirit and the Word of God. And if you are among this congregation and you don't really feel like that, I would just say, don't get left behind. Don't get left behind. I think God is moving among us. Don't get left behind like Peter almost did. Even after Peter's experience in the book of Acts 10, or in the book of Acts, in chapter 10, his human bias and what he wants God to say or not say almost gets the best of him. After his vision that he received three times, after his declarations of what God is doing, after he sees the Spirit move in power among the Gentiles, he still almost is taken by his bias. We read in Galatians that Paul had to call him out for not acting in line with the truth of the gospel toward the Gentiles. Peter was so used to his box, his bias, his past experience, his reading, his side of the spectrum, that he almost misses it. This is Galatians 2, 12. It says, Peter, or Cephas, same guy, he began, Cephas is Aramaic for Peter, uh, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the other Jews who had joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And after that, it says, Paul called him out for not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Yes, this is a special, personally, I find, impressive church. But if you find yourself this morning in a place like Peter, If you are not feeling, yeah, full Bible, full spirit, whatever God wants to say, whatever the word of God says, whatever we read in scripture, as the cry of your heart this morning, I would say, join in. Please join in. Don't get left in the dust. Be humbled before before God. Be humbled um, before God's word. Be humbled before his spirit. Be open to his spirit. John, uh, John Papp is going to close in, we're, we're going to close in worship. And I'll invite the band or whoever wants to be a part of the band right now. I'll invite them up. Um, we're going to close in, in song and in, in worship to our God. And as we do that, um, I want to, I want to say, um, during this song, maybe start, if you're in a place where you're like, where, you, where you're feeling like a little bit like, I'm not totally open to fully what God's word says or fully what the spirit might have. I'm not totally open. In fact, I have a little bias that's pushing against that feeling and that posture of openness. Then I would say, maybe start by asking God for forgiveness, for being closed, for being prideful.
He is glad to give forgiveness. He's glad to guide you. He's glad to shepherd you. He is a shepherd. He is our shepherd. He's the head of our church. He is glad to interact with you and lead you to where you need to be, where he wants you to be. Uh, come willing to him. And whatever it is this morning, I would just say as we close in worship, just give it to him. Whether it be word or deed or understanding or bias, remain open to him. God wants that of his people, to be open to him. Whatever you want, Lord, let us not be closed like the warnings and, and the prophecies of the church in the last days. Let us just be open to whatever God wants. 